With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Reports NFL Draft Podcast. I'm Matt Miller. You've been hearing this voice every week now. You know the spiel. I'm the lead draft writer at BR. And joining me for what, one more week? We got last time. Last time. No. We got Mello across the desk and Connor up in New York. And yet, Mello has to go back to the real world. And it's going to be sad. So it'll be Connor and I holding it down on Wednesday mornings for you guys. I, I got to go collect a paycheck. So, and say, what are you going to do? Save the world, yeah. Uh, we got a fun show today, guys. Uh, we're going to go around the league. Some news, not a whole lot, because we're not going to give you training camp play-by-play, even though God bless the people who do it. I actually enjoy it. Uh, we're going to do our edge and linebacker preview, wrapping up our college and NFL draft position previews. And then we're going to do a little draft on draft. Uh, to kick off the around the league, one rookie is sitting out there chilling, and that's Roquan Smith. Connors, New York Jets get Sam Darnold in yesterday, uh, and what, he missed three days of camp. Everybody's yeah. up in arms. And both sides caved a little bit. Each side right. gave a little bit. Yeah, and that's, hey, we talked about it on the Friday show. Keto relationship compromise, and that's what the Jets and Sam Darnold did. What's your take on that? I mean, not just as a Jets fan, Connor, but, I mean, this is, guy was the number three pick in the draft, and we saw Baker Mayfield, the number one pick, get in, no problem. Saquon, number two pick, signed, no problems. Sam Darnold's deal seemed like it was a little more complicated. Yeah, I thought it was embarrassing for both sides. I think when the number one pick does something, it sets the tone and leverage for everyone else, and Baker Mayfield wanted to be in camp and made his contract very easy, and it had the offset language within it, which for if you haven't been reading up too much on this, it basically means if that player gets cut, they can't double dip with salary with their new team and their old team. So the Jets are sitting there and saying, okay, well, Baker Mayfield went number one overall and got offset language in his contract. Sam Darnold, you're getting offset language too. CAA didn't want that. The Jets ultimately won out on that side. But on the flip side, Sam Darnold's agency won out because he got his bonus paid out up front, $20 million guaranteed, all paid at once. Very rare for top, even top five picks and the forfeiture language. Basically, if Sam Darnold gets fined, the Jets aren't really going to be, you know, they're not going to void the guarantees. So there's a lot of language in this deal. Each side gave a little bit. It's just embarrassing that it went into camp. That's the problem that I have with it for each side of it. But you drafted him in April. Yes, you drafted him in April. (laughs) You come out and the owner says he's the savior of the franchise. Get this shit done and out of the way. It's a bad look, you know, obviously for the agent. It's a little bit of a bad look for the Jets, too. Let's not, you know, I know they had policies they wanted to stick to. But at the end of the day, the whole thing's ridiculous. It's good he only missed three practices, and really two of them were almost walkthroughs. And I think the thing with it is, like, 
No one's going to care the first time he throws a touchdown. Exactly. It's over. It's like, do you remember Joey Bosa holding out and then motherfucking each other in the press? <laughs> no one cares right? anymore. Everybody no one cares. thought they were going to trade him. Like, oh, they can't deal with Joey Bosa. Like, yeah. this is a nightmare already. Yeah. Uh, Connor, how much do you think this affects his, like, chances of starting week one? Uh, I think it was getting to that point. I think it's safe now. Now, he did look a little rusty in practice. You know, obviously, his first practice, of course. If this went into the fifth and sixth practice, it probably would have been off the table because when you're a 21-year-old rookie, you can't miss more than a week of practice, especially Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater are not chumps, okay? McCown had a career year last year playing with these guys. He had a great connection with Robbie Anderson. Quincy Anoon was back, and Teddy has looked good. So Darnold has competition and a learning curve, but now he's still on track and still the favorite to start. I know the coaches want him to start. They're going to give him a fair chance to win that job, and now he has the time to do it. Yeah, so that's your Jets segment of stick to football. <laughs> stick to the Jets. That's right. Subscribe little, on little portion. <laughs> we got to talk about the other guy that's still not in camp, though. Oh, Roquan Smith. This and here's is like your other guy. Connor. Yeah, like, is, I loved him. What is, what is your deal, uh, man? I'm the bad guys. luck charm. <laughs> that's clearly. So, like you said with Darnold, it, a little egg on the face for both sides. Here's the deal. The Bears, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. I completely like, agree. The agents are right just, here. Could level heads just prevail and say, listen, we understand if he you know, gets caught with a hooker, a gun, and a kilo, you guys can suspend him, and we're going to pay back some money. But if he gets suspended because this new bullshit targeting rule, uh, listen, I mean, let's come on, help us out. There's a There should be a difference between suspended for on-field now. I mean, you can just get suspended for a football move. Whereas before it was, you only got suspended for, you know, conduct away from the field or, or Vontez perfect type stuff. So I think the bears, and I understand it might not be Ryan pace. It's not Matt Nagy. It might be ownership. It might be someone in the legal department whose name we've never heard, but someone has to understand this. Just it, not only does it look bad. I think one of the dumbest things an NFL team can do is you draft a kid. And for months you talk about, Oh, number six picking the draft. We believe in him. And he's the future of our defense. He's everything we've needed. And then you don't get the contract done and you start to throw rocks at that player. Like you're hurting your fan base. You're hurting the player. You're hurting, you know, chances to negotiate with that agent in the future. And it's just not worth it. I mean, how often does this shit actually come up where you need to recoup some money from a guy? It's pretty rare. Well, it, I think, yeah, unless you're yeah. drafting Vontez perfect. Yes. And, like, that's why he went undrafted. <laughs> it's so frustrating because Roquan Smith is not only a great player, he's a well-respected person and was a very, very well-respected player in that Georgia defense. And when it comes down to it, nobody knows how this new helmet contact rule is going to play out. And it's not fair to sit there and void all his guarantees when he has a very good chance of having some bullshit call. This is going to be a learning curve for the refs in the league establishing this rule. Why should a rookie that was just drafted in the top 10 have to risk losing his guarantees for something that really can go either way? We've seen these rules established. We've seen questionable calls. There you go, guys. Questionable calls. (laughs) And, And when you look at this, the agent is right here. Roquan Smith, your representation is right here. And the Bears are only doing themselves a disservice by letting this thing linger on. Because this guy could be a star from day one, a defensive rookie of the year candidate right away. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, let's jump into college football because I- I'm going to say it every week until college football starts. We are going to be doing a lot more college football. Start to think of stick to football as your college football NFL draft, NFL, the bachelor, barbecue beer destination podcast even though people are going to get mad about it it's a one-stop shop one-stop shop so college football season is almost here i'm so excited i'm sweating 
and I put out my 2018 Heisman favorites list. And I want to know what you guys think. And I, I got a ton of backlash on this. Shocking, right? Because what I said is it, to win the Heisman, you have to play quarterback or running back on a team that wins nine games or more. That's Most the, years, I think, yeah. Some years, I think you even have to win more than nine. Right. Like, like Lamar Jackson scores 50 touchdowns on an right. okay team, but they beat Florida State, and he had some big moments. So here's my list. Number five, Tua, assuming he starts at Alabama. Number four, Will Greer. Number three, Bryce Love. Number two, Trace McSorley. Your and number one, player. Jonathan Taylor. I, I like that list just because what Wisconsin's going to do this year. We've talked about him a ton on the show. Like the dude rushed for 1,900 yards last year. Yep. They bring back four starters, I think, on the offensive line, maybe even five. And then a sophomore running back, another year with that quarterback. It's going to look good for Wisconsin this year. Uh, Trace McSorley is actually a guy that the more I watch Penn State, I think he's going to have a Baker Mayfield rise. Really? Oh, no. I, I think if he can get Juwan Johnson the ball, that dude yeah. might just ball out this year. I still and the can't. NFL doesn't care about size anymore. Yeah, I can't stand his motion. I, I love the list, Matt. And I, I'll flip the script here. I, I would probably go Tua and then Will Greer one and two. But, I mean, it's the same five players all in the mix, and it's close. Jonathan Taylor, it's, it's hard. It is hard for me to not even make him number one because – the guy just looks like a future, like 1,500 yards guaranteed kind of rusher in the perfect offense with the perfect players to do it. And I love that you have Bryce Love three. Let's not forget what Bryce Love did last year. And I'll pose the question to you guys. Do you think it helps your case a little bit when you've already been on that stage and been a candidate and you lost it the year before? And then oh, I definitely think so. Right? I think so, too. Like yeah. Baker. I mean, yes. Baker had a good year. I think you could say Bryce Love, Lamar Jackson. There are some guys that had just as good of a year as Baker, but... Obviously, you know, he was so flamboyant that that helped. But I, I think that the name recognition is huge with Heisman voters. The three of us should have a vote. I just I'm going to start being aggressive. about well, some this. of these Heisman voters, you know, that they're just like, oh, OK, I don't really watch the game. Baker Mayfield, he's the name out there. Not that he didn't deserve it because he definitely did. Yeah. I would have voted for him. But then this year they're going to see like, OK, Bryce loves back. They're going to watch him. They already know him. They're not digging in and doing research on this. They're just, They're not who are the names that are already out there? Jake Fromm, he's already out there. So yeah. Khalil Tate out of Arizona might be another guy to watch for if they can do anything. Well, like McKenzie Milton is going to have the numbers, but he's not on a big enough team. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, and so Oklahoma fans, I'm going to take any chance I can to take a shot at Oklahoma fans. They were tweeting me for not having Kyler Murray on the list, and that dude might not even start. Yeah, like your your coach just came out and said that he has to earn the starting job. Like, let's worry about that first. And then maybe once he gets on the field, he'll do something. I still don't think he'll do anything special. I actually hope he starts over Austin Kendall. <laughs> uh, last thing on this list, I want everyone, when you're not, like, if you're driving, don't do this while you're driving. But I want you to go to the Stick to Football Instagram and look at a picture of our intern, TR, and, like, burn that memory into your brain, Okay. And then open your web browser and Google Trace McSorley and tell me they're not the same fucking person. Walker might be a little taller, right? He Ever might be. Him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like Seeing him in two? person. Yeah. Like he says six two, but I think he's closer to like six three. He's, he's oh, He's like four inches taller than Trace. Yeah. But they look like brothers. It's amazing. <laughs> I just put it together. And I know oh, what picture you're talking about, and I'm looking at Trace like. With the bandana on, running yes, around the field. Exactly. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, man. When I meet Walker, that's going to be my gift to him. I'm going to have to give him the Trace McSorley uh, headband just to get him in line there. They See, do there's, look just, there's so much about this guy that just screams Baker Mayfield for me. Yeah. The bandana. 
Yeah, I can see it. Let's talk about some linebackers and some edge rushers. Uh, I think this is a really interesting class of linebackers. Not as good as last year. I liked what we saw in the 2018 draft a little bit better with like Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds, Leighton Vander Esch. But a lot of those guys we weren't talking about one year ago. So I think there's some interesting names here. As a reminder, I take the West Coast and some small schools. Connor takes the East Coast. Mello takes the middle of the country. So, uh, Connor, because you do have Devin White and you also have Miami who, that has some studs, Let's talk about your list, the ACC and the SEC. Oh, yeah, a lot of names on this list. I will run through them and only talk about a few in depth. But starting with Devin White, it's such an interesting player because I actually saw him when he was a freshman because I was watching Jamal Adams. And I was like, who is this linebacker that can run stride for stride with Jalen Hurts? And he's got electric speed. So, And then I found out White was a former running back, converted to linebacker. So a lot of time as a freshman, obviously started as a sophomore expectations are huge. I've heard from scouts that they see him as a guy that can definitely find his way into round one. It's tough when you're an off-ball linebacker, but we saw Roquan Smith, Jermaine Edmonds, like you said, Vander Esch and Rashad Evans. Those guys found their way into round one, so Devin White definitely can. Shaq Quarterman from Miami, definitely a key name to keep it, you know keep an eye on. He's been really impressive playing right away as a freshman at Miami. His teammate, Michael Pinckney, uh, Mac Wilson at Alabama. You know, we talk about that Alabama front seven. They've had some injuries with these guys, but they're just locked and loaded with five-star talent across the board. Again, Joe Giles Harris from Duke. And then you look at some of the pass rushers on my list. Of course, the combo of Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant. We talked about the Clemson interior guys about a week ago. These two on the edge can get after the quarterback. I like Farrell the best out of the two. Montez Sweat from Mississippi State. Zach Allen from Boston College. Another, I like him. An, yeah, I like Zach Allen a lot, too. Josh Allen from Kentucky, another guy that makes plays. We have another Josh Allen in the draft class again. Brian Burns from FSU, another player that jumped out and can really take over that Josh Sweat role. Porter Gustin from USC, guy that's been around a little bit now. Injuries have set him back, so hopefully he gets on the right track here. Anthony Jennings, another member of that Alabama front seven. And the third player on this list from Miami, Joe Jackson. So Miami and Alabama and Clemson are really your teams to watch You know, up front this year. Love it. The Alabama, or not Alabama, LSU and Miami play like the college football kickoff this year. Just watch that defensive side of the ball because they have some amazing linebackers. Obviously, like three of them on your list. I'll go through my guys real quick. Uh, There's really only one that I want to talk about. I got TJ Edwards out of Wisconsin. He's just a guy that'll catch your eye anytime you watch Wisconsin. He's constantly making plays. I want to see what he's like athletically because he just, he doesn't look like he moves very well. And then the guy I really want to talk about is Patty Fisher because I I picked this guy up by watching Michigan State. I was watching like LJ Scott or one of the running backs. And then I kept noticing this linebacker all over the field. He He had like 19 tackles. He looks just like Pat Fitzgerald. I actually just found out yesterday, though, he's only a redshirt sophomore. I couldn't believe he was a freshman redshirt last year. Yeah, so he might not even come out this year, but he is definitely one of my favorite linebackers that I watched this year. And then another guy out of Michigan, Devin Bush. I like him, but man, this dude's small. We've talked about him before. He's listed at five foot eleven. And if you're listed at five foot eleven a linebacker, (laughs) you're five nine. And he he, makes plays. Yeah, he plays that Drabil Preppers role that they had for them. But I just I don't know if he translates to the NFL. I think he's too big to be a safety and he doesn't run well enough. So we'll see what he can do at linebacker. Yeah. And I you also have Gary Johnson on your list. University of Texas. This dude is getting hyped. He was a Juco transfer. And any I mean, it's no secret. 
part of our job in the media this time of year, you talk to schools and say, hey, who are your guys? Who should we be watching? You talk to Texas, Gary Johnson's the dude they're telling you to watch because he's supposed to be this freak athlete. Yep. And he's going to play middle linebacker. I'm very excited to see what he can and do. And I'll tell you, I know that they started hyping him up, and we kind of talked about it before, and I didn't really get it until I scouted Drew Locke. And I went back and I watched the whole Texas-Mizzou game, and that dude is all over the field. And I really think that he just didn't get his opportunity last year because he was blocked by guys like Malik Jefferson, who probably, you know, you have some kind of promise to get playing time or they've already been there. You see him as a leader and a captain on your team. So that job's not really open, kind of like we saw with Mitch Trubisky. Like, he didn't really ever have the chance to win that starting job. I think that was Gary Johnson's case last year. He was a JUCO transfer coming in, and you've got an all-world athlete in Malik Jefferson. So you're not really going to take his spot. I think Gary Johnson could have a very impressive year. He's a little light. He's about 220, so he's going to need to add weight. But he could do some things behind that Texas defensive line. And then a little foreshadowing for our draft on draft question, Dakota Allen out of Texas Tech. This was a last chance you star, and he actually might be drafted pretty high. Yeah, I remember him. Uh, was that, that was the Eastern Mississippi. Year. Yeah, that was season Eastern two. Mississippi. Actually, one of our good buddies who's come to some of our meetups, Dale Vogel, uh, coached at a JUCO in Kansas. He took a job at East Mississippi. So oh, really small world, right? Yeah. So I, I want to see what he can do on that Texas Tech defense. He obviously had some trouble, got kicked out of school, but it looked like he got his shit together. Even on this series, it looked like yeah. he had really matured. And then he's putting things together on the field at Texas Tech. I read a great quote. Somebody was like, you know, a player has figured it out on the last chance you when they're not a part of the show anymore. Yes. Like Just when, when they great. don't talk, like when, so good. when they don't get FaceTime anymore, it's like, ah, they probably figured it out. But like when you're that head case quarterback, the cameras fall on you everywhere, you know? So <laughs> they're not going to be this year. though. not going to be this year. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Before right, so- Matt starts, I need to make an apology. I selfishly had Porter Gustin on my list. I was going to call you out for no, it. No, you should have. I, I just I went into like psycho mode when we were filling out the doc last night, and I was like just punching in names left and right. And as I read that, I was like, "You idiot!" Like you had yeah. the SEC and ACC. So maybe sorry, you, I thought you like South Carolina was where you were yeah, going. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm really losing my mind. That's all right. It's you know it's that time of year. Uh, so I have Porter Gustin on my list from USC. Also, Cameron Smith. Uh, Cameron Smith probably could have come out last year and been a third or fourth round pick. So he has a chance to make himself some money this year. And Porter Augusta, like you said, Connor, if he's healthy, it's a different story. Really like Troy Dye up at Oregon. Uh, I think he's a, a very good candidate to be inside or outside backer. Khalil Hodge at Buffalo. That's one of my small school guys to watch as an inside linebacker. Uh, Tavon Coney at Notre Dame, another linebacker prospect. I like Justin Hollins at Oregon. And then I didn't have a lot of edge rushers in my group, but Carl Granderson at Wyoming. We saw him play in person last year. Really like his ability. Christian Rector at USC and then Jalen Jokes at Oregon. And our intern TR sent over Sutton Smith from Northern Illinois as a linebacker to watch. So not a ton on the West Coast this year. You know, last year we talked about Washington with you know, the Bash brothers with Azim Victor and, and Keyshawn Biaria. Neither guy really Oof. panned out. Fall for the race. There was a lot of hype a year ago about those two players. So yep. this is a good, I think, kind of collective list to watch. And... Not shockingly, I mean, your guys' areas dominate this. I mean, Melo has Nick Bosa. Oh, He's yeah, going to be the yeah. first pick in the draft. Yep. So I, I forgot to go over my edge rushers here, but obviously I have Nick Bosa, who's 
probably going to be a top three pick. I also put on there, and I don't even think I'm being a homer, but I put Brecken Hager just because what he can do off the edge. People have always talked about at Texas. He's their best pass rusher, so mm-hmm. we'll see what he can do. Another guy that I love because I watched um, All or Nothing with Michigan is Chase Winovich. That dude is all over the field. He was more productive than Rishon Gary last year, which I don't really care about stats, but the things that this kid can do on the ball, if he proves to be athletic at all, if he has any bend in those hips and that waist, he's going to be a pretty high draft pick. He had 19 tackles for loss last year and, he has great and eight hair. and a half sacks. Great hair. He looks like Kevin Green out there. Yeah. Just put him <laughs> on the edge. Latimer from that. <laughs> fucking the program. So I, I love watching him play. I hope he can develop into an actual like pass rusher and do something pretty special. Out of TCU, Ben Bonagu is a guy that looks very athletic. If he can learn to use his hands, I think he's a first-round talent because he is so athletic, long arms, good athlete. He's got to learn some pass rush moves, though. If he does, he's going to be scary. All right, and as always, we got to close out the show answering your draft on draft questions. You guys have been great on Reddit. I think that's the easiest way to funnel questions, but if you, you like sending them on iTunes reviews, Twitter, Instagram, uh, adding Walker is an easy way too, but get on that Reddit thread and jump in there, and let's kick this thing off. All right, this one from jrummy 91 If there were a possibility of adding more expansion teams to the NFL in the future, which U.S. cities would be the best fit to own a new team? Yeah, we've talked about it before as like XFL cities and things. I think it is a little different with the NFL, but like I still think St. Louis is a good NFL market. It's good sports they, town. They just had some problems with the the stadium funding, which I think should come from the owners anyway. But if you can get a team there, they will support it. I mean, obviously, they've been doing a great job with the Cardinals for a very long time. So St. Louis would be a great city. Also kind of biased again, Austin. It's just it's amazing that, yeah, Texas only has two pro teams, and they're both in East Texas. If you can get into like a San Antonio or even down in Austin, I think they have enough people down there. They can support a third team in Texas. That's yeah. my biggest question is like, is there any cities that can handle an, an additional team? Do you guys Well, think? Chicago, Chicago almost got a team when the Panthers and Jags got brought okay. in. So like, I mean, that was Walter Payton was going to be a partial owner. And so at the time they definitely thought Chicago could support another team, but I think they could support another team, but I don't know if they would. Like, I don't know if any of those Chicago fans yeah. are jumping right. ship and going to not be Bears well, fans. Well, if the team was good, they might. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. That yeah. is really, I didn't even think, that is really tough. Because, like, the White Sox-Cubs dynamic is fine because it's so yeah. old. Exactly. But. I, I mean, I like, outside the U.S., obviously London, Mexico City. Like, there are two places right there that I think the numbers show they could support a team. Yeah, they care about but, football a lot. It was, I'm, yeah. I mean, Vegas tough. and L.A., I don't know if they're going to care about football. So <laughs> They'll care about one team in L.A. I don't know that a other yeah, team might. It's such a weird situation. Yeah, it, it, it's a great question. It's going to be interesting to see how these new leagues adapt and where to go and where to play. I, I'm with you, though, on the Texas situation. I think San Antonio is really the ideal one. And I, I think it shows because Jerry Jones and Bob McNair are two of the most influential owners in the NFL. And so they're gonna they're not gonna let someone else in Texas. I mean, San Antonio is a Cowboys town, which it's it's like a five hour drive from oh, San Antonio to, to Dallas. Crazy. You know? So uh it is it is shocking, but that's uh that's the NFL for you. 
Uh, next one from Jets Mets two two two. I think me, this I is swear. actually Connor. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you loved the number two. So yeah, much. right. Two two two. What are your thoughts on shows like Hard Knocks, All or Nothing, and Last Chance? You, I'd love to hear any insights you guys have. I mean, I think you got to take them for what they are. I mean, they're they're edited. They're they're shows. It's not like a full access behind the scenes where it's hidden camera shit. It's a TV show. It's in some ways going to be scripted. You're going to players are going to have to do multiple takes of things. But I think for the teams, especially like last chance, you and all or nothing, it is a great recruiting tool. You think every kid in the country right now who's getting kicked out of D one schools doesn't want to go to ICC and play. And it's good for the school. Like they're getting money like that. Oh yeah. Adidas contract that they're talking about at the beginning of season three of last chance. You like that's great for the school and it's great for the football team. And it, like you said, Matt, it is, it's produced like some of this stuff. It just doesn't happen naturally or their Mm -hmm. producers are going back through and saying, okay, let's do this again or whatever. Or they're piecing together footage that maybe it didn't really happen that way, but damn, it looks good once you put it together for the show. Yeah. And I, I like hard knocks. Because it's kind of like what's your appetite for football coming back? All or nothing is a billion times better than hard knocks because it follows the whole season. Like the Cowboys one and the Michigan one are great to watch. And when they did one about the Rams, it was the same year the Rams did hard knocks. It's it worked really well because it just picked up where one left off and you got to see Jeff Fisher get fired. Yeah, I, I think the Rams all or nothing was the best out of any of them. I, I felt emotionally attached to that team by the end yeah. of the season and the coaches. It, did, it went beyond Jeff Fisher, like Bones, the special teams coach. Greg Williams had a heavy part in it. I, I thought it's really well done. But as you guys mentioned, and like I've worked a lot in production over the years. It's it's extremely edited. It's tailored around certain storylines that they want to elevate or exaggerate. I mean, a good example is when the Texans did hard knocks. I mean, J.J. Watt is a great human, an absolutely great human. He's also very well aware when the cameras are on. And there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. It makes for good TV. But at the end of the day, it's just... At Hard Knocks, they seem so aware of the cameras being on. Like Rex Ryan for the Jets Hard Knocks absolutely stole the show. But All or Nothing is so much more natural because that's an entire season. Yeah, I, I think you just get yeah. used to it. You get used to that camera being around. Yes, you you see the true colors of people. They, the emotions, the highs and lows of what being in the league is actually about. So I, I love All or Nothing. I think it's far and away the best. But I think, as you guys said, there's pros and cons to each. Yeah, I, I do like both. I mean, I'll watch just about anything football related. Yeah, oh, other so than especially Friday in the summer. Night Tikes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous. <laughs> the only thing I won't watch. Uh, all right, next one up. Dirty Pants 816. <laughs> this is me. It's my This is right. actually you. We all sent questions. We're desperate. Uh, and I, 816 is a Kansas City area code, so it might actually be. Uh, it's probably BJ. Dirty Pants. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Matt and Mello. How are you two not Chiefs fans? Geographically, it makes sense. Also, which conference is elite at what positions? And we actually had that question on the the Friday morning show last week. We talked about, uh, or no, that was last week on this show. We talked about weak positions. My brain is just jello at this point. Um, Yeah, so why are we not Chiefs fans? I've explained it before. One of my, probably my earliest memory is watching the 49ers win the Super Bowl. And I fell in love with Jerry Rice. I pl- I played receiver all, like, even just, you know, obviously everybody does in backyard football. But, I mean, I played receiver from fifth grade all the way through. So, I I, I just, that's who I related to. And um, I wanted to be different. All my friends were Chiefs fans. And I never wanted to be like everyone else. I always wanted to kind of go my own way. And the Niners were just my team. 
And for me, like the Chiefs were close, but they they were also just as far away as every other team because we weren't going to see the Chiefs play ever. I didn't go to my first Chiefs game until I was like 16 years old. Yeah. So growing up being a young kid, we were just as likely to go see the Cowboys play because we weren't going anywhere with four kids and poor parents. Yeah. So when you guys were growing up, who's the most marketable player on the Chiefs? Derek Thomas. Okay. Derek, yeah, Derek Thomas and Neil Smith and I for loved a long time. Those two. But I mean, go through the Niners core. Yeah, Joe Montana, right. Steve yeah. Young, Jerry yeah, Rice, I get it. I totally Ronnie Lott, it. Charles Haley. And it's not like you guys are from Kansas. I think that's what people mix up a lot. Like, you guys are not from Kansas right. City. I understand yeah. South, that's a, Southwest Missouri. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Dallas is two here. hours far away than Kansas City is for us. I mean, I'm flying into so Arkansas like, to get to you guys. Just, right. Just to show what it's Or I could have yeah. went Oklahoma. There's a lot of different directions I could have came in from. And, but people do get that all the time. I mean, we, we both get it. Why are you Texas fans? And like, well, I mean, when I was real little and didn't know like that I could pick my own team, I was a Michigan fan because my mom's from Michigan and all her brothers are Michigan fans. And that's who I spent time with. So like, and we also grew up very religious where like, if you watched football, it was whoever was still playing after church on Sundays. And that was the Niners were always on TV in the mid to late eighties because uh, they were good. So the second part of that question, you know, just not to forget that either, which conference is elite at what positions you said, the example, AFC has better quarterbacks, NFC has better running backs. That's really interesting. If you broke it down yeah, bit by bit, I mean, I feel like the pass rushers in the AFC are the, the edge, edge rushers, edge rushers. Yeah. Von Miller, Cleo Mack, Joey Bosa. Um, I mean, the Melvin Ingram, uh, Melvin Ingram is on freaking teammate. Yeah. Like the list goes on and on and on. It's absolutely insane. And now Bradley Chubb is on the same team and, as I mean, Miller. Like, I mean, Miles Garrett is in there. Jadavion oh, yes. Clowney is in there. I think the NFC has better interior D line just because the Rams have Aaron oh, Donald yeah, and, and Dominican Sue and Gerald McCoy is in there. Yeah. That's hard to do off the, the Eagles, top of your head, though. D line. Yeah, the Eagles D line. I mean, quarterbacks is, I think, NFC. Uh, oh, you still got Brady over there. Uh, Big AFC. Ben. But like Rivers, I'm thinking Rivers. like Breeze, <laughs> like Breeze in the NFC. I like wins and golf so much. Russell Wilson's in the NFC. I think you start to bet on young guys at that point. Like, Rosen's in the NFC now. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That tips the <laughs> Sam scales. Bradford is in the <laughs> NFC. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. All right, <laughs> moving on. Another Reddit question. Guys, absolutely crushed it. One seven one one. Only moving. Mods. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Hopefully it's not like some drug term. Anyway, three <laughs> three things you would like to see added to the combine and three things you would like to see taken off the combine schedule. That's another thing I think we've either talked about either on the show or just when we were together. Yeah. I'm so sick of seeing linemen run the 40. I don't it's really agree. It's freaking ridiculous. Maybe a defensive lineman. Like I can see them running the 40 and offensive linemen just stop at 20. You don't need anything past yes. that for them. You're going to know thing, if they could pull before you have make them do the 40. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. And I would rather see quarterbacks. Do you know how they do like the skills challenge thing where they like put targets on golf carts and drive that yeah. shit around? I would like to see that. Me too. Because you're, you're thrown to like receivers you've never thrown to before and you don't, you can't really gauge speed. Those moving targets, I, I just feel like that's... And they're not throwing to the same guy every right. time. So you might get a guy out there like Calvin Johnson who's going to catch everything. Right. Or, you know, you're throwing to some guy who's not even going to be drafted and makes you topic, look terrible. The best thing at the Senior Bowl is something they don't do at the Combine. One-on-ones, receivers versus DBs. Oh, yeah. Like, when that get shit true, happens at the Senior Bowl, that, that's all you're watching. I get O-line out of the D-line? press box and walk onto the field because I want to hear them slapping each other off the line in the scrimmage. And just the shit talking. That's where, like, you separate 
the NFL guys from the college guys. Mm-hmm. It's the best. It's you can look pretty best. good in zone coverage all week. Yeah, but when you're and at then, the line one-on-one, and the edge always goes to the receiver, so when the DBs win a rep, it's like, shit. Like, that's, it's awesome. <laughs> or a guy can't even get into his route because yeah. <laughs> he's jamming so hard. Like, that's yeah, you a don't good have sign that you're not going to make it. Yeah. yeah, and if you're close, you you better keep your head on a swivel or else you're going down with them because they'll knock his ass right into the sideline. I, I do think the combine is overrated, and it is because it's a TV show now. Oh, I agree with you, like, too. And, like, the three cone is so much more important than the 40, but the 40 gets televised. So it's, oh, it's 40s, everything. Remember no, your interview not. with Dion, Matt, he, when he was saying how there was no media there really covering yeah. it? And he yeah. was like, yeah, I would just get pushed into a room, and I was taking some tests before I even knew it. And I was like, it's just it was a shit show, but it mm-hmm. wasn't a TV event. It was just all that teams getting the most information they can. And now it's just, like you said, it's a spectacle. Yeah, man, I still can't believe Dion did this show. He obviously has never seen my uh, dislike for him on Twitter. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we follow each other now. That's great. Well, he probably doesn't listen to the show because I think you've listed him last week as like an overrated corner. I said well, he put him at third. Third best corner all time. Yeah, and we know who Kevin Byard is. So it's like. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> if he listened to the show, he would know that Kevin Byard is a pretty good safety in football. So Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, <laughs> last one. Last one from Reddit. Ryder dies like that one. Which quarterback in recent draft history has had his career hurt the most by where he was drafted? I'd say luck is a candidate along with maybe Deshaun Kaiser and Joey Harrington. Recent history makes this interesting because otherwise it's Tim Couch and David Carr David and no Carr. one else. Oh, David Carr is so bad. He Poor was soul. so good. And then he's his freshman year, rookie year. They set the record for like sacks. It's like 72. Yeah, it was terrible. He's just getting the shit kicked out of him. And that's he before we great. recorded quarterback hits. So who yeah. the hell knows what those were? Here's God. an interesting one. I want to throw it out there. I'm not saying it's the case. I just want to hear what you guys think. Johnny Manziel. Yeah, if he, went, uh, if he went somewhere other than the Browns, I can see it. Because that was a real shit show there. And obviously, he had a lot to do with that, too. But yeah. if he would have went to, like, the Chiefs with Andy Reid or, the you know, the Patriots or some other team with a good foundation and maybe a quarterback he could sit behind or even the Cowboys, you know, just yeah. something where they could tutor him and bring him along. But, you know, after a while, I think the Browns were just like, yeah, we suck. Let's just see what the guy has. Yeah. yeah, the thing is, him failing under Kyle Shanahan is what hurts the most. It's like, man, uh, what yeah. more did you? The Browns are a horrible organization at the time, and they've really cleaned it up recently. But I, I don't know. It's that's a good one. It's like, what would be your hot take selection? And you could see why you'd pick that one because Johnny yeah. had all the talent in the world and and fell into a situation where it was just seemed careless. So, I mean, I'm <laughs> Vince Young. Oh, Jeff Fisher. Yeah, with him and Jeff Fisher, they, they just clashed yeah, so much. Norm Chow. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys also find it interesting that quarterbacks like Vince Young and, and Michael Vick was was good player, so I, I don't want to like loop in, in, him into this, but their ceilings would be so much higher in today's game. Oh, without oh, a doubt. You know what ridiculous. I mean? Right? Yeah. Like how if, coaches if, have adjusted. If Vince Young could have ran an RPO offense. I mean, the guy won rookie of the year. Like, yeah. there was... It, it's not like he flamed out in the NFL right away. And, no, and then he, he like, it just, you know, he got depressed and it got in his head and it, it's just, it, it's a whole mess of a spiral, but yeah, man, what might've been right there? That's I actually, I actually want that to be the iTunes reviews this week. Who do you guys think one. is the, is a quarterback that was hurt most by where he was drafted? That's such a polarizing debate. Cause there's just year and everybody could argue either way. Like I could sit here and tell you why Geno Smith failed. And I know Geno Smith was a was a bad quarterback at the end of the day, 
and had immaturity problems, but talent wise and the situation he was in, I mean, it was a nightmare. You so don't loan people money. You could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or pay up. <laughs> yeah, right. How about that? That's, That's a life lesson for all y'all pay up. Yeah, that definitely is. All right, that's our show for the week. Thanks, guys, for hanging out with us. We'll be back Friday morning with uh, some to-be-determined hot takes, I'm sure. We don't even, we haven't even made it that far. Most important thing for me today is going to see the new Mission Impossible, and then I'll then I'll think about what we're doing Friday morning. Yeah, I but, can't wait. I've been watching all the old ones just so I can go watch this new one. Yeah, it's I don't be- even think it matters because you could just dive right in and watch it, but I've been doing it anyway. Can I ruin it for you guys real quick? And now I'm not giving anything away. <laughs> Spoiler alert. As you watch it, just always remember that Tom Cruise is like five foot six. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I know. That's, and like the Jack Reacher, Reacher movies uh-huh. are the same way. It's like, you're supposed to be a badass and you're, you're yeah. five I'm six. like, and I'm I'm not a tall person, so it's hard for me to talk shit. <laughs> but I'm not five six. And like, this guy's a superstar. Yeah. It's just the best. I thought you were going to say, like, as you're watching it, just remember that he's a Scientologist and fucking <laughs> crazy. Five foot six yeah. Scientologist. Yeah. But right. he, he does his own stunts, so he brings it all back. Exactly. Fair, Fair point. Which, I mean, maybe there's something to that. Maybe he's, you know, maybe the aliens are keeping him from falling off that rock face. Something's going on because the guy's too. like 50 and he's still getting it done. Yeah, that's true. We'll let you know. We'll, there will be a full uh, Mission Impossible review Friday he, morning. He must <laughs> use for hymns. I bet he does. Is that, <laughs> yeah. It's the, uh, the Thanks slow to science. <laughs> Tom Cruise can still do his own stunts. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll talk to y'all very, very soon.